Even if you're an individual practitioner, even if you are a solopreneur, no matter who you are in your life, your ability to constantly pause and crowdsource from a group of trusted individuals who you could all work together as a collective, all team up together as a collective, that you crowdsource where are the risks that are going to bite us in the ass and where are the opportunities that we could capitalize for growth. What a beautiful little framework to work with your team. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I have a returning guest coming to the show, and it's a very special person I wanted to bring up because they just launched another amazing book, and they've written so many, such as Who's Got Your Back? Never Eat Alone. I'm talking, of course, about Keith Ferrazzi. He is a leader, trainer, and expert who's been a contributor on CNN, CNNBC. He's been on Larry King Live, Today Show, Forbes, Business Week, Wall Street Journal, and he's been really bringing companies and individuals to understand what does it look like when you start co-elevating each other, really making a difference. And I'm excited to announce that his brand new book, Competing in the New World of Work, we're going to see how all of you who are business owners, salespeople, or working within your career can adapt this methodology to stand out and make the difference that I know you want to make. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. So first of all, the most important correction, I'm not a guest, I'm a friend and have been for a very long time. And it's nice to be home with friends again. It's good to see you, Jason. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And yeah, I remember like, you know, from even the first times we got introduced, you were very generous in helping me. I know it's the story that I've shared before, but traveling across Japan, you connected me with some very significant individuals that were running these TEDx conferences there. You've always opened up your Rolodex. You've invited us over for dinners. We've had these connection moments as well during A-Fest. So I'm really glad we can have you featured as well. And congratulations on the new book. We seem to be speaking more about individuals and employees in this piece of literature when I know traditionally you usually speak to leaders and top leaders within an organization. So are we speaking to a different audience with this book? What happened? No, I think the big shift on this book. So my first book, Never Get Alone, which many of your audience would be familiar with, particularly in the sales arena, was people always ask, how long did it take you to write Never Get Alone? And the simplest answer would be one year. But the reality was it took me 35 years because it's all of the work of your life goes into your first book, as you well know, because everybody should be running as well to double click and buy your book this week as well as my own and put them on a stack next side of their bed. But this was the first book that I did a significant, significant condensed research project for. So this work was born from a belief that coming out of the pandemic, we really need to rethink how we show up in the workplace and what would that look like? So we had 2,000 entrepreneurs, leaders, executives, thought leaders, 2,000 individuals, both individually interviewed with a very simple question. Instead of crawling out of the rubble and going back to old ways of working, how instead do you leap forward coming out of this pandemic leap forward five, 10 years? How do you go forward to work, not back to work? And with that principle, we designed the book. 
And what was very interesting is what emerged from it. What emerged from it, I think, are four incredibly important guiding principles for how all of us thrive today in an incredibly volatile world that we live in. You know, the volatility that we live in today isn't new. We just experienced two years of incredibly condensed volatility. And the question is, as we come out, we're going to continue to face a lot of volatility. How do we really thrive in that world? And I can't wait to go through all four of those attributes and really use this as a learning journey on this call with you. Yeah. I love it. I think you hit that nail on the head because, yeah, there's so much things that are changing all the time. We're getting back and crawling out of this whole like pandemic situation. But, you know, going back to business as usual is not the answer. And so we've seen kind of this pandemic be a catalyst of trying to get rid of some things that just were no longer working. And I was going to ask you, what do you think were the biggest things happening in the workplace, like in the old world of work, that the pandemic kind of accelerated, highlighted, and is bringing us to this change. Things weren't working already. Yeah. Well, they weren't. And for 20 years, they weren't. And I've been in this business. I started the business. This is why I have such affinity for your work. I started in the business helping sales organizations radically accelerate the relationships they had in the marketplace. So, so much of my work, uh, Frazzy Greenlight was started as a way to imagine how do sales and marketing organizations work more effectively together in order to build deeper loyalty with clients. And from the beginning of the work that we've been doing, one of the things that has always been clear to me is that organizations don't spend enough time with their head up looking into the future. Instead, we're always looking down operationally. We have such a grind of getting the job done. And what came about during the pandemic was a real awareness that foresight and constantly being attuned to changes in customer expectations, competitive landscape, environmental concerns, they were being thrown at us during the pandemic like curveballs every minute. But yet we were attentive to them. We knew they were there and we knew they were going to be there and we kept being attentive to them. It was interesting, a wonderful example. Of all the companies that we interviewed, fewer than 15% of companies recognized that the pandemic was coming, foresaw it, and did anything in real preparation prior to shutdowns. Like major companies with operations in China were caught on their heels on March 13th in the United States with the shutdown. So what was interesting about that is we did find companies like Rick Ambrose, who is running a division of a big aerospace company called Lockheed, didn't even have operations in China. What he did, though, is he had, on a monthly basis, he assigned to every member of his team, his posse, he assigned a different way to look at the world and assess risk and assess opportunity. So imagine if you're a sales team and on a monthly basis, you get together with your sales team and say, okay, this is a five-minute window who has a major risk or a major opportunity that we should be looking at and assessing? The five-minute window once a month is not the time to land the plane and solve the problem. It's just to decide if a risk or an opportunity is worth moving into another meeting for analysis. Now, everybody on your sales team would have a different way to look at the world. Some would be looking at it for large enterprise customers. Others could be looking at it from how our competition is changing or how technology is going to benefit us or are there customer trends that are changing, whatever it is. And what happened was as a result of that, 
simple process. Rick's team identified that there was something going on in China in December. By the time January happened, they had turned it into an assessment meeting. By the time early February happened, they had a protocol and a plan in place and went fully virtual way before anybody else did. Now, that level of foresight is the savior for all of us to be successful in our lives. Even if you're an individual practitioner, even if you are a solopreneur, no matter who you are in your life, your ability to constantly pause and crowdsource from a group of trusted individuals who you could all work together as a collective, all team up together as a collective, that you crowdsource where are the risks that are going to bite us in the ass and where are the opportunities that we could capitalize for growth. What a beautiful little framework to work with your team. Oh my God. And as you mentioned, with things that are changing so fast now, this is not a nice to have anymore. This is a necessary because... It is. And that's what we found. And I would say it's been necessary for many years. And it's what has allowed organizations to be disrupted, right? And it's what allowed us. I mean, I look back and I just think about myself personally. I kick myself for not having had a foresight process in place in my own life. I've got very dear friends who were involved early on in the NFT, crypto space, et cetera. That is an entire window that I missed of opportunity that I could have taken advantage of over a two-year period, three-year period that would have been very robust. Not that I didn't have chirps, like I knew that people were doing this and doing that, but they felt so isolated. And there was no mechanism by which I could have sat down and said, yes, that is worthy of moving to a fully assessment phase where I'm going to really evaluate and understand this, which is then worth moving into some form of a planning stage. And if I just looked at that, I could have easily added millions, millions and millions and millions to my net worth. I'm just talking about that little vantage point of crypto, right? Now, all of us need this. We need a posse. And in my last book, I invented a new word called co-elevation. We all need our co-elevating team. So as you read my new book, Competing in the New World of Work, I want you to read it with a vantage point is who is your co-elevating team? Who is that team? Who's that posse? And if you don't think you've got a team because you're a solopreneur, you have to have a team, right? Who is that team? Who is that group of other solopreneurs, that group of other entrepreneurs working together that will help lead each other into success? So number one was foresight. Foresight. And yeah, what you're talking about, I think a lot of people can relate that it's almost like in hindsight is only when you're like, wow, I should have seen it. I should have known. And you're talking about how you can systematically engineer it. And so you can pick up on these trends. Now, I feel like there'd be a bit of a cautionary tale about what are the types of people or who you should be taking your advice from, because you know, we're also seeing all the, the message boards and everywhere online. It's almost like an abundance flood of information that almost paralyzes you. So are there some key factors we should look for? Well, remember, I'm saying, as I said, we're not asking for chirping information on the side. We're asking for real partners who you're going on a journey of success, of co-elevation, of going higher together with. Now, in the second area I'll give you is an area, which actually, let me give you in the order of the book. It's not second, but it doesn't matter. I want to talk a little bit about crowdsourcing. I want to talk a little bit about what hybrid, which is what the environment we're working in today, what did hybrid do for us? Hybrid allowed some of the most extraordinary people to pop into your team and out without having to get on an airplane or get on a taxi or drive across town. And as a result, your access to talent 
has fundamentally changed. I'll give you a couple of for instances. Many of you might know the name Peter Diamandis. Peter is a dear friend of mine and really focus on abundance. He wrote the book called Abundance, which I know is an earmark of this podcast. Peter's just an extraordinary, great guy. And despite the fact that we're great friends, he's got a very successful business. He's got a book launching this week too with Tony Robbins on longevity. He's got a lot going on. And yet for the past two years during the pandemic, he and I spoke on a daily basis in some fashion. Now, some of the way we spoke actually was asynchronously, where I would send a voice text to him. And then whenever he had time, he would send a voice text back to me. We would basically achieve what is needed in a meeting. We would have achieved it on a few back and forths that we didn't have to schedule time, which might have normally taken maybe several days if we were lucky to get a time scheduled, right? Then at the same time, we were able on Sundays, he and I started having a meeting where we were just looking at investment opportunities and we were crowdsourcing. Every Sunday, we had three new investors come in that were different, friends of ours who were doing interesting investing thing. But he and I were always the staple and we just rotated friends coming in and chatting about investments that week. And it was an incredibly rich resource. None of this would have been possible in a pre-hybrid work world, right? Also, just very practically, I now have, and this is something you certainly are very familiar with, with Valley. I now have five full-time individuals working in my organization, which is the backbone of my marketing organization from the Philippines. They are incredible. These individuals are serving the role of people that I would have had to pay $85,000 for in the United States. And they're working on our time zone and they are grateful because they are getting paid 30% more than they would have been paid in their own region. And I'm actually paying them a third of what I would have paid an American. Now, it's interesting because I keep ratcheting up their salaries because I'm just paying them at parity with where they're living, but I'm starting to pay them more and more, locking them in because I don't want them to leave. They're so exceptional. English proficiency, perfect work ethic, exceptional, desire to grow and learn, exceptional off the charts. So now all of a sudden, I've got a global organization that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Again, one other example of crowdsourcing both talent, but also crowdsourcing ideas. Where are you getting these ideas? How are you fully leveraging being in a hybrid work world? How are you collaborating effectively in this world? It's been a major, major shift, a major shift from the way we've worked in the past. It sounds to me like we really need to step up if we are an individual looking to join organizations. And particularly in America, we have to realize that you're not competing with people sitting next to you anymore. You are competing on a global scale. So you need to kind of upgrade your skills. You need to up-level. You need to find ways that makes you stand out because as you mentioned, people are competent around the world. And now that we're working in a hybrid model where we can work remotely anyways, all the barriers are gone. And so there's probably some things that you need to do if you're someone that's accustomed, let's say, to a Western standard of living and your skill sets would get you by. We're seeing it's so weird because it's like a great resignation is happening, yet there's opportunities of people that are looking to take these jobs for companies that are really stepping up. So this dynamic is strange. It is strange, but I think you're looking at it from the right perspective. If you are running a company, then you have to recognize that you are competing for talent in a way that you've never competed before. And therefore, we do have to shift how we think about accommodation, but not decrease our 
expectations in any regard. So I'll give you a, a for instance. At the beginning of the pandemic, many people thought, well, how do I know if my people are working if they're not in the office? Which went out the door pretty quickly. But even today, people are worried about that. There are leaders who are hoping to get people back in the office quickly. And what I say to them is, give me the name of an individual that you're concerned about, whether or not they're working hard. They give me a name. What are the outcomes you expect from that person this week? They don't have an answer. Part of the challenge with poor management is that we've not successfully negotiated with people who are working with us what their outcomes are. And that process is beautifully umbrellaed under a process, which is one of the chapters of the book, called agility. How do you manage an agile workforce? And how do you manage an agile organization? And how do you be agile? I recommend for all of us, whether you're a leader or an individual, to either say to your boss or you say to your associate, Can we negotiate what success looks like this week? What does success look like this week? And then have that conversation. And then at the end of the week, you have the conversation, how did we do, right? Where did we struggle? And what's next week? It's the simplest embodiment of a very complex process that's used by technology organizations called agile organization. But negotiation of simple sprints of work. And at the end of that sprint to do a stand-up, where you reveal where you've been, where you've struggled and where you're going, and then just do that iteratively. Now, the benefit of this for all of us, and you could even do it for yourself. What do I want to achieve this week, right? You go for the sprint and then ask yourself, what did I achieve? Where do I struggle? Where am I going next week? The benefit of this is we always have these grandiose visions of what we're going to do. We have a number that we're trying to sell for the year, and we have what we're trying to achieve in that year. And all of a sudden we wake up halfway through the year and we're like, oh shit, we're not going to make that number. There's no way we can make that number. But if we had broken everything down into week by week sprints, we would constantly be reallocating our resources and our time to live. And I do think that in a world of volatility, that agile is the operating system. Agile is the operating system. And we wanted to give everybody some insight into how to live your life in agile. So we took all the books about Agile and advice about Agile and what we learned about Agile. I mean, as I said, during the pandemic, we were living in what I call crisis Agile, right? Crisis Agile is what in the heck is someone going to throw at me next and how do I manage it? That is not sustainable, right? It's not sustainable. But by adopting the Agile principles in your life, you can actually thrive in a way that you've never, never thought of before. This is really powerful because we're talking here, if I've heard this correctly, is number one, we need to stop looking down, start looking up so we can recognize opportunities. And as we surround ourselves with people that we respect, that we trust, that are bringing us these insights and predictions, we can have that better foresight. You've talked about crowdsourcing. We've talked about how you can realize that you can bring people together to get this insights. We can also find people across the world that can be a part of our team. And if I'm an individual from across the world, I also have to recognize that I can access work opportunities across the globe. So I'm not restricted to my regional area. And now we're really speaking about the fact that, hey, when we want to go out there and you want to be able to thrive, you can use a system agile that makes you more effective on a week to week basis. Even as you have these long term goals, having a weekly check in weekly goal setting with yourself, with your team allows you to move on new information and be accountable to what needs to be delivered. And I think this big one tracking hours versus measuring outcomes is one of the biggest shifts that could be difficult for some business owners to swallow because they look at our 
cost. And they want to maximize that when really it's the outcome. So we're asked for managers and businesses to level up their job descriptions and expectations whenever they decide to hire or even look at alternative models of employment, which is not just hiring, but contracting, you know, part-time work. There's so many different models emerging as well, right? There's an entire chapter in the book. So the beginning of the book is talks about these fundamental four prerequisites of how we have to rethink about living our lives, leading our teams and being successful and productive employees. The second half of the book talks about where do we apply that? And there's a model in there. How do we rethink our business that we're in for the future? How do we rethink our business design? And as I found, if you're not imagining how artificial intelligence is going to transform the business you're in, you are going to be caught on your heels and extinct. No matter what business you're in, you've got to ask how critical technology enablement, particularly artificial intelligence, is going to reinvent my business. Because the reality is so much of what each of us is doing is being fully automated better by an AI system that we might not even know is approaching. Here I am. I'm a coach. I coach executive teams. That's what I do. And as a coach, there are organizations out there that are designing AI into technology, which gives people advice that I'm going to have to augment too. So the coaching advice that you're going to get based on behaviors and outcomes and how this software will track what you're doing, all of that is going to be something that I've got to meld my coaching into. I can either be surprised by it or I can get ahead of it. And the question is, how do all of us get ahead of radical technology enablement? In the last couple of years, there's been more advancement in digital and digitization than ever before. And so I would ask you, if that hasn't disrupted your business, how will it and how do you know about that? And then the other area we talk about is workforce redesign. Like we were talking about working from anywhere, et cetera. We have a model in the book around ways to rethink workforce design as not just whether you're remote or physical, right? That's just one element. There's six elements of this. It's so important. You'd look like you had a point to make around the business model reinvention with technology. Well, I was just going to talk about how it presents a unique opportunity. And there's something where AI played a small part, and it's a very tangible part that I think will help illustrate this, is I have a designer on my team and they create the covers for every podcast episode. So authors send me their pictures and then she would spend some time, you know, cropping out the author from their background using a tool and just making a line so that you don't cut out an arm and the ears are there and your hair looks good. And then that was a bulk of the time that was being spent just doing what they call masking until I just realized that there are tools out there like cutout. And then what happened is I drag a picture and it automatically spits out a perfectly masked picture with the background taken out. And I introduced it to her. And, you know, if you'd had that old way of thinking, you'd be like, oh my God, this person just eliminated 60% of my work. But she was able to look at it and be like, oh my God, look at all the time it saved me. I can work on more important things. And I think this is what I see in this new world of work is that we recognize these technologies allows us to rise towards solving bigger problems. And that's a really exciting thing. Exactly. And we all need to be real sort of rabid consumers of this new way and looking ahead of it. Now, the last area, which I know you'll have a lot of appreciation for, because you and I both met in the Valley universe, it's about resilience. And at no time in our history have we experienced more vulnerability and more focus on mental well-being, or maybe should I say mental stress, than we had over the last couple of years. And if you're going to run an incredibly agile organization that's constantly pivoting with new foresight and abundantly sourcing 
new insights and information to be constantly innovative, then the question is, how do you do that in a sustainable way? And we did a lot of research on that. And we looked at both personal routines, but we also looked at the value once again, the real successful teams that thrived without exhaustion and seemed to have a level of sustainability were ones that created an emotional contract to each other where they not only were individuals accepting each other's hitting a wall or whatever, but making a commitment to true co-elevation, right? Truly elevating each other's energy, celebrating each other as individuals. And that level of shift, it was amazing how infrequent teams owned each other's success. Take a look at a company like Merrill Lynch, financial advisors, This was a very stressful time to be a financial advisor, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic. Some individuals lost 30% of their portfolio value. And all of a sudden, you've got this financial advisor. Well, what we helped financial advisors recognize is that they should organize themselves into small peer-to-peer groups, real co-elevation groups, to give each other advice, develop each other, lift each other up, give each other energy. And it was through that process that those who were in those co-elevation groups, they ended up not only surviving, they increased their net new accounts by 50%. So what we found was that you can get emotional and real sustenance from a peer group. Going back to the immediate comment that I mentioned earlier, all of us need our posse, right? Whether it's for foresight or resilience or even to crowdsource collaboration with, we all need our posse. And that's the big lesson that I think we took away from the book threaded throughout the entire book was how important us to create our own teams are for the sake of this kind of success in a radically volatile world, which is very difficult to keep up with on your own is the point. We can only do it with others. Keith, I want to thank you for coming here and sharing some of the top insights from the book. I think for everybody here where we're feeling a lot of separation and anxiety, I think the ultimate message of saying, hey, we can connect together, we can come up with solutions, we can keep a finger on the pulse, we can do things in a better and more efficient way. And the world has problems. But I think when people organize themselves, start actually competing in a new world of work and doing things which are much more effective, we're going to be able to solve these problems much more effectively. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited for everyone. I did want to take a moment. I went on uh, Audible for those who are watching this on YouTube. I went on Audible. That is a format that I wanted to pick up your book. And so there are copies available. Go and grab a copy of this book. I will also have a link in the show note as well. Well, I'll give you one other thing. We created a website called radicallyadapt.com. It actually just forwards you to another website, which is our research institute, goforwardtowork.com forward slash book. And there, my co-author and I, Keon, created a video series. And that video series walks you through every chapter and teaches you how to use the book for your success. And that video series is for free if any of you have ordered the book. So all you've got to do is go order the book wherever you would order it, come back and show us that you did. And we'd love to give you that video series, which helps you implement the book in a new format, a video format. Absolutely brilliant. Keith, thank you so much for your time. We're going to put a link to this as well in the show notes. So definitely go in there and grab all the additional resources in the bonus section and make sure that when you are showing up, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee, that you get an idea that we need to operate differently, 
The world is changing fast, but we can adapt radically and we can do things better. And I think this is exactly what you're going to get when you pick up a copy of this book is have a blueprint on how to move forward in your life in a powerful way. So thank you again, Keith, for sharing all this insights and all you listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.